Well, good morning, C3 Picton. I'm with you via video this morning as I preach this same message you're about to hear. I preach it live in C3 Thoreau location. And then next Sunday, I'm going to do a swapsy and I'll be preaching personally with you part two of this message while C3 Picton listen to me preach it. C3 Thoreau listen to me preach it via video. And so we are launching into a brand new series. And in my opinion, probably one of the most important series, short series that we've ever had probably the most uh, revolutionary in many ways in the thinking that I've got. We are going to be talking about the topic of salvation. And you might think, well, I know everything there is to know about salvation. I've been saved for a long time. You might have been a Christian for a long time. But I wonder if you just stopped and really thought about it. What does salvation mean to you? What does it mean that you are saved? And if your answer is going to be something like, well, I get to go to heaven when I die, I wonder if you've really grasped the fullness of salvation. That's actually quite a shallow entry point meaning to the topic of salvation. So we're going to look at that. Over four weeks, we're going to look at some important topics. Today, we're going to be talking about sin. If we uh, don't, if we can't define sin, then how can we define anything beyond that? How can we be saved from sin if we really don't know what sin is. And I've been on a personal journey through the last several months. It really began as I was preparing this whole series, this whole year of the liturgical calendar last year. And uh, I really wanted to tackle this topic of salvation this year. And so I've had this stewing in my mind. And in the last uh, couple of months, I've re- you might have heard it if you've been listening to our podcast, The Bible. Wait, what? If you've been listening to that, you would have heard me just in previous weeks starting to drip feed this topic of sin. What is sin? And if we can't clarify that, then we can't move on to what we are saved from. What is the sin that we have been saved from and what are we saved to? What are the implications of that? Speaking of the podcast, my intention is that I'll actually paste this message into our podcast as a bonus episode this week. The reason being is uh, Jeannie and I had a five-hour conversation on this topic of sin. And uh, it's a long one, but in all honesty, if uh, I would recommend as your pastor, if you don't listen to any of my other podcasts, so be it. But I would recommend that even if you took you know a month to listen to this podcast on the topic of sin, I really do think it's vitally important. Uh, if we don't understand sin, we don't understand ourselves. If we externalize sin to a list of things that we should or shouldn't do, we don't really understand what sin is doing for us. So I would recommend that you actually take the time to dissect the message that was released uh, uh, last Sunday, it would have been, as you're watching this. It's the most recent, no, it won't be the most recent one because you're watching this on Sunday and uh, this week's one on Atonement will be out. So it'll be the second last one as you after church today. I would encourage you to listen and, and dissect the topic of sin in, uh, in that podcast. And I obviously can't do five hours justice in that conversation. There's some amazing stuff in there. Jeannie brought out some absolute gold nuggets. One of them I'm going to use in my message in a few moments time. Uh, If you've got not time to listen to the whole thing, I would recommend um, listening to our conversation on Romans chapter seven. For me personally, that was probably one of the most pivotal conversations I've ever had in my Christian life. Kudos to Jeannie from Thoreau, but that is actually, it was just illuminated and and brought color to my understanding of what's really going on inside of us and how sin affects us. And so I'm going to come back and just riff off the Romans 7 conversation in a few moments time to whet your appetite. We're going to focus on sin, atonement, 
eternal life and judgment are the four topics that we'll be looking at over the course of the next week. And I'll be teaching on three of those. This one, I'll be in person doing atonement at Picton next week, and then I'll be teaching on judgment at uh, Picton on the final week. I think Pastor Ivana will be preaching on eternal life in the midst of that. So today, I want to look at the topic of what is sin. And I wonder, just like I said, what is salvation? I wonder if I was to ask you, what is sin? What would you say? And there'll be a whole bunch of answers. Sin is, uh, you know, displeasing God. You could quote, if you know your Bible well, you might go Hebrews 11, 6. Anything that is not of faith is sin. And you go, that sounds good. It sounds spiritual. But what does that really mean? What is sin? Uh, Sin is um, upsetting God. Is it really that? Is it more than that? Sin is not doing a certain list of things that I've got on my list. I'm not that kind of person. Therefore, I'm not a sinner. Or if I do those things, I am a sinner. What is sin? Well, that's the personal journey that I've been on. And as I've reflected on this, I've realized that so much of our Christian conversation is about a list of do's and don'ts. It's as though we say, if you don't do certain things, you'll be okay. Oh, if you don't drink, or you don't dress a certain way, or you dress immodestly, or you don't, uh, you know, take for yourselves, or you don't go here, or you don't do that, or you do say this, we create an external list of things as though by doing and not doing certain things on our list, that makes us righteous. That makes us right with God. And if you've been a Christian for a while, you'll have some understanding, at least intuitively, that in the end, that doesn't really work that uh, we know that we can never live up to God's standard, but we still think there's a list. And we know we can't live up to this list of do's and don'ts. And every now and then we're going to fail at one of them. And we know that if we break one commandment, we're guilty of breaking them all. So we know we need a savior. And so Jesus died on the cross for that list. He wipes that list, throws it away. And now you're right with him. And now I can go to heaven when I die. But I just think, as I've reflected on it, I think that's so oversimplistic. And it actually lacks value to improve my value in the earth and how I can add value to other people because it's still selfish. It's still about, oh, my list of things has been taken away rather than realizing I'm called to do so much more on the earth than just go through life with a blank slate. I am called to do the opposite of sin. The opposite of sin is righteousness. I am called to do righteousness. The Hebrew word is sedekah. It means to restore to right relationships, to, to do right by others. Sin is just not doing harm or not offending God or people. Righteousness is actually to do right by others. And we're going to see that as we develop this thought. And, and that's the journey that I've been on over the last little while. And as I do, it's illuminated my thoughts and the implications for how I am called to be who God really wants me to be on the earth, a person who brings heaven to earth and helps others, and how I keep falling short of that when I'm selfish, when I'm sinful, and how through Christ, through Christ's death and his spirit living in me, I can now fulfill uh, that desire to do right by other people. And we're going to see that hopefully in this little nutshell sermon. I'm going to unpack some of what we talk about in five hours of conversation in this podcast. I want to start with James chapter one. James chapter one. I'm not a big person for taking verses and just quoting verses out of context, but I think James chapter one, verses 14 and 15 actually sets a pattern for what we see in our lives. And I'll come back to that in just a moment. It says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, 
And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Temptation comes from our own sinful desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires will give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. What happens is this. This is the pattern that we're going to see in Eve in a moment, Adam and Eve. We're going to see this pattern repeated in scripture multiple times. And if you're honest, we're going to see that pattern in our own lives. This is what happens. We see something that looks good to us and we desire it. It says they are our own desires. We see something, we go, oh, I want that. That'll do me good. That'll be good for me. That'll be good for my family. That'll be good for my church, my community. That'll be good for us. And so we uh, allow our desires and our passions to arise, and that's what entices us. And before we know it, we're dragged away. Before we know it, what we're doing is we're taking. We're taking for ourselves. We're taking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that I'll come back to in a moment. And when we do that, it leads to death. How do I mean it leads to death? Well, when you take for yourself, when I take for myself, when I let my desires run away with me, I end up taking for myself rather than being generous toward others. And that will lead to death and destruction in the world around me. uh, The very people who I think I'm helping will be actually hindered. It will cause destruction to flow out like like a ripple effect from my world. When I take rather than give, the effect is other people are devalued and it causes destruction. And ultimately it'll cause destruction in my world and you'll cause death in my world. People will will fail to be who they could be because I've taken from myself. And this is the pattern I want you to remember. If you remember nothing else out of this, if you remember nothing else, well, maybe there's a few other things I want you to remember in the podcast, but uh, I want you to see this pattern repeated because this is the pattern that the sinner has. We see something, it looks good, we want it and we take it. And the result of that is death. It's what happened to Adam and Eve. So let's go and have a look at a little pass- a couple of passages in the in the book of Genesis now. We like to spend a lot of time in the early chapters of Genesis. We preach from Genesis 1, 2 and 3, probably more than any other chapters in the whole Bible. But that's because they're fundamental passages that set up the human condition and what uh, God has done and going to do about it. And so in the creation narrative in Genesis, it says God saw, seven times it says God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the first day and the second day and so on. God saw that it was good. Remember I said, we, Eve, saw that it was good. She desired it and so she took it. The writers want you to see see a direct parallel between a God in heaven who sees that something's good and gives. He says, I saw all creation is not about him. It's about creating and giving a beautiful world to the humans. He saw that it was good. So he said, here, have it all. Here, have all the trees of the garden. I want you to be able to have and eat from every tree in the garden. So there's this desire to see that it's good and give. We see that something's good for us and we take. That's our sinful desires. Romans 7 talks about these two parts of us, the part that wants to do good and the part that keeps doing wrong, the sinful nature, the flesh, Paul calls it, the um, this part of us that con- we're constantly at war with. And that part is always wanting to see and take rather than see and give. God was doing righteousness. He was creating. He was using his ability to bless Humanity. Humanity says, I want and I take. So that's the uh, story there. We see the seven times God saw that it was good. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, God warns Adam and he says, You can eat from all the trees in the garden. They're all there for you, except one tree, the tree 
of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of Hebrew words are tov and ra, good and evil, right and wrong, good and bad. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, right and wrong. And if you think about it for a moment, you think, why would I not want to eat from that tree? Isn't it a good thing to know what's good and what's bad? Isn't it good to know the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do? So there's more going on in this story. And what God's intention was, it wasn't that he didn't want the humans to know what was right and wrong. It was that he knew that there's a sinful desire in us that always wants to define what's right for us. And God's right is different to our right. Our right is what's good in our own eyes. And God's right is what's good in others' eyes. And so that's what his intention is for us, that we would be ultimately trained by him to be able to do what's right and wrong, uh, to understand what's right and wrong, and do what's right, do righteousness. The word righteousness, sedekar, literally means to do right, to bring into right relationship, to restore rightness between people. When we are truly imaging creation, imaging what God has imaged on us, his image, it says we are created in his image. When we do that, we are going to be doing what's right for others. We're going to see what's good for others, and we're going to give it. Now, if we stop and think about it, we don't do that. And that's where I want to go with our sin nature. Because we, instead of just taking a list of things that we shouldn't do, I want to go deeper in our heart and go, where are we doing what's right for us? So the story goes on, Genesis chapter 3, very famous story. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you shouldn't eat from the, every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, oh, we can eat from all the trees except the one in the middle of the garden. We can't touch that one. We can't eat that one. I'll come back to not going to touch the touch it bit. That's a whole different uh, thing other than to say God didn't say that. But um, Adam obviously hadn't made that clear. And the serpent says, as, as the serpent is prone to say to all of us, oh, God said, if you eat of that, you'll die. You, you're not going to die. In fact, let me tell you what's really going to happen. If you eat from that tree, if you take from that tree, you'll actually be like God. You'll actually know for yourself what's right and wrong. You'll know what's good for you. And so what happens is she saw it. Verse 6, she saw the tree was good. See the same language, see and good. So she took. And then she does actually give. She gives to Adam, who's standing right beside her. Before you think this is a woman bash up, it's not. Eve wasn't even given the commandment originally. It's a dude husband who was right next to her. He was the one in chapter 2 that got the command. And he should have been the one who was standing up for and protecting and caring and saying, no, no, that's not what God said. He, he should have actually been the one answering the serpent, not Eve. He didn't do his job properly. But... The language is the same. She saw, she wanted, she desired it, she took it, and she gave it to her husband, and it ultimately led to destruction and death, and the end result is, is death for them, and, uh, and sin enters into the world. And so, it's a powerful story that we need to bear in mind as we think through what is sin for all of us. And this pattern of see, desire, see what is good, desire it, take it, repeats itself multiple times. In fact, in uh, the story of Abraham and Sarah, uh, you can see the same language repeated. It's intentional that the writer wants you to see the pattern, the biblical pattern. Abraham and Sarah saw their servant Hagar. They desired what she could give them, which was a son. And so they took her and they used her. You see it in Achan in the story in uh, the book of Joshua, when he defeats the, they defeat Jericho. It says he saw that there was some gold. There was something he wanted there. So he desired and he took it for himself and the end result was destruction for him and, and, and death within the people of uh, Israel. And here's the point. 
our world's narrative that we, that it's infiltrating us all the time. It infiltrates us in, in at every level of society because it's the narrative of the serpent in the world is, it'll be good for you. Do you really think God doesn't want you to be happy? Don't you think God wants you to look after yourself? Don't you think you deserve it? Yeah, you won't really die. There won't really be destruction if you make this choice. Come on, you can do this. You can take for yourself. It infiltrates us in our marketing and in our economy. Our entire economy is built on this attitude that we see, we desire, we take. I put it this way. Our world's narrative is if you see something that is good in your eyes, it's okay to desire it and take it. It won't harm anybody else. You're not failing to, you're not really hurting anybody else if you take for yourself. And in the podcast, in our Romans 7 chapter, Conversation on Sin, Jeannie came up with an analogy that I just absolutely, it's, it's blown my mind at how simple it is, and yet it's been one of the most profound revelations I've had in a very, very long time. She talked about uh, what goes on inside of us when it comes to time-limited parking. So suppose you're running down to the shop and there's a 30-minute time zone in the middle of Picton, or middle of time, or you've got a 30-minute zone, but you know you're going to go to the doctor's and you're going to be there for longer. There's a good chance you might be in the doctor, stuck in the doctor's surgery for an hour. What are you going to do? And what is motivating your heart at that time? See, our sinful nature goes, oh, I deserve this. I'm sick. I need to take this. I'll park there and I'll run the gauntlet and I'll see what happens. Oh, you know, people don't really get booked very often. And so what's going inside of us, you can see the narrative. It's selfish. It's I deserve this. I need this. Or you might be the kind of person that goes, well, I'm not prepared to do that. I'm not prepared to run the risk. So I'll go and park somewhere else where I know that I'll be back within the time limit, three hour time limit or what it might be. Can you see how that sounds noble? But that's still selfish. You're still thinking about yourself. We're still thinking about, in fact, one of the primary reasons that we're not parking there, if we're honest, is the fear of consequences. I don't want the fine. I can't afford the fine. And our entire world and judicial system is built on consequences. And that's why we have double demerit points during peak season, because people will not do the wrong thing for fear of the consequences of it. Question for us, friends, is, is that still selfish? And to be honest, I think it is. I think we're still thinking about ourselves when we are taking on this whole analogy of a limited parking zone. So let me put it slightly differently. So let's just, let's suppose that you go, okay, I'm not going to run the gauntlet. I'm not going to risk getting a parking fine. But what I'll do is I'll stay in the car because, you know, my wife's in the doctor's surgery. I'll sit in the car here. And if I see a parking inspector, I'll know to drive off before the parking inspector comes. So what have you done? You're still thinking selfishly. And in the podcast, we develop this analogy further. But let me just go a little bit further for you. Or you go, okay. I am going to stay here. I'm entitled to my 30 minutes. I can take my 30 minutes and I'm taking all of my 30 minutes and not a moment longer. So you sit there and you run back to the car and you get to 29 minutes and 59 seconds and you start the engine and you drive off and you think, what a good Christian I am. (laughs) I'm such a holy Christian because you know what? I didn't stay longer than 30 minutes. I obeyed the law. And that is still selfish. It seems it's law abiding And it's still selfish. In fact, what it is, is it's obeying law. And Paul talks about the Old Testament law in Romans 7 and says, it's this whole law. You wouldn't even know what it is to not to be fine. You wouldn't even know what it is that it's wrong to park longer than 30 minutes if the law did not say don't park longer than 30 minutes. And so it's still selfish. And then to further the analogy, you go and park somewhere where you're allowed to park. You take a stroll by and you go, that car was there before I got here. 
and it's still there now, 10 minutes after it should have been gone. And then you start to judge them and criticize them and get cynical towards them and judge them. And then they're on your blacklist of sins. Oh, that person, not like me, I'm holy, that person. And so we can see what we're developing now is self-righteousness rather than Christ's righteousness. Oh, that's why I love this analogy. I think there is so much in it. And uh, in Mark chapter 12, Jesus says to, he, he's talking about this whole concept of what it means to do righteousness by others as opposed to just not harming others. One of the teachers of religious law, Romans 12, verse 28, Mark, Mark 12, verse 28, one of the teachers of religious law was standing listening to the debate and he realized that Jesus was answering well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus said, the most important is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord your God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Sounds good. We focus on that bit. But the second, he says, is equally important, just as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So let's go back to our 30-minute parking analogy for a minute, folks. When we are focused on our entitlement for that 30-minute spot, we aren't loving our neighbor as ourself. When we are sitting there beyond 30 minutes, or maybe you only needed to be there 15 minutes, but you've got 15 minutes to spare, I wonder if you're thinking about the fact that there's other people who need to get into the doctor's surgery. Other people need to come and get their coffee. And you go, I've got 15 minutes. I'm, going to, I'm entitled to my next 15 minutes here. Jesus would say, loving your neighbor is actually thinking about all the other people who are waiting and could get that spot that you're in. It's actually going and doing right by them and saying, even though I'm entitled to stay here for another 15 minutes, I'm going to inconvenience myself. I'm going to give my 15 minutes to somebody else. I'm going to do righteousness, do set a car by someone else who could benefit from that spot. And it sounds so noble. And there's part of us that wants to do this. There's a big part of us that wants to do this. But if we're honest, there's always part of us that doesn't want to do it, that thinks that we deserve it. And this is the tussle that Paul talks about. As we get ready to close, this is the tussle that Paul talks about in Romans 7. We're going to go there in a minute. But I want to read some words to you that won't be on the screen. Romans, uh, Colossians chapter 2, he also addresses this very issue. This is what he says in Colossians chapter 2. He says, why do you keep on following the rules of this world? The 30-minute parking rules. Why do you keep focusing on all the things that the law says you can and can't do? Such as don't taste, don't touch, don't handle, don't go there, don't drink this, don't dress that way, don't park longer than that long, don't pass that speed limit. Why do you keep doing those things? He says, those rules are mere human teachings and they deteriorate with using them. So you leave at the 30-minute mark and you think, what a good Christian you are. Then you find yourself getting cynical at everybody who hasn't left with the thir after their 30-minute mark. And it's deteriorated. with Instead of making you feel holy, it's actually making you feel angry on the inside. He goes on and says, these rules, they seem wise because they require strong devotion. What a good Christian I am. They require pious self-denial. Oh, look, I could have stayed longer, but I didn't. They require severe bodily discipline. I'm going to have to walk further now because I couldn't park in my 30-minute zone. But they actually, despite the fact they have, they seem like they have those things, they seem wise, he says they actually provide no help in conquering the passions of the flesh. Why? Because it actually feeds our self-righteousness. It feeds our selfishness. They look good on the outside, but they're wrong on the inside. So as we turn to Romans 7, I want to just read a few verses to you and unpack these. And then 
I want you to just do some reflection. I'm going to come back and ask you a few reflection questions in the closing minutes of this message that maybe you can think about as you as you um, continue out of today so that it actually is, well, that's all good, Ron, but how does it apply to my life? And the second part of Romans 7, and as I said, we go into this, we'll probably spend an hour on Romans 7 in the, in the podcast. The second part, Paul is actually talking about these laws, this Old Testament Torah, these Old Testament rules that they'd fallen into the trap of thinking because they ticked boxes, they weren't on that sin list that they created, whatever that list looked like for them, that somehow they were righteous, that they were right. And Paul says, well, am I suggesting that if you don't obey by these rules that somehow there's something wrong with the rules? He says, of course not. In fact, it's the rules that show me that I'm sin." In fact, the rules are supposed to show me what's going on inside my heart. What they had done and what we do is we take the rules and we think, okay, this is my list of don'ts. I don't do those things, so I'm good. That list of don'ts, the rules, is actually supposed to show us where am I selfish? Where am I thinking about myself in that 30-minute zone? What is that 30-minute zone telling me about my selfish attitude, not my entitlement? It's the reverse. That's what rules of do's and don'ts, Paul would say, is supposed to do. He goes on, he says... If there was no rule that said I shall not covet, I wouldn't even know what that means. If there was no rule that said don't park here 30 minutes, if it was just unopened parking, every, uh, unended parking everywhere, we'd never be challenged to think about what's going on inside us. But the 30-minute zone is supposed to challenge us to think what's really going on. Who, who's really Lord and Master of my life? Is it me or is it I want to do right by other people? Verse 9, at one time I lived without understanding from the law, but... When I learned that the command was to don't covet, instantly the power of sin comes to life. And I want to, oh, I want to stay longer than 30 minutes. I deserve to stay longer than 30 minutes. And I'm taking more than my 30 minutes. And I might get away with it because the parking inspector doesn't come by. But what it's done is it's brought death to me because I'm now selfish. I discovered, he says, I discovered that the law's command, which was actually intended to bring life, actually brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of, of these commands and deceive me. Now, when it talks about sin in Romans 7, in fact, in many places, Paul talks about sin as this external force. I wonder if you've ever thought about it like that. I wonder if you just thought about sin as something you do. Well, Paul would say, he talks about it like sin is some kind of force that is exerted upon us. It's like a virus. It's like a growth. It's like a cancer that comes and attacks us. And it does something inside our selfish hearts And that then grows in our life. That's how Paul would describe sin in that way. Something that grows from external and attaches itself to us like a virus. He says, sin took advantage of the don't park 30 minutes and it deceived me and it actually used that command to kill me. How can that be? Is the law really, which is good, did it cause death? He says, no, the law is still good. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death because it roused selfish desires in me. I saw that I shouldn't have it, but I wanted it, I took it, I desired it, and the end result was sin. So then Paul closes out Romans 14 with this, Romans 7 with this, verse 14. So the trouble is actually not with the law. That's actually a good thing. The 30-minute zone, it's a good thing. The trouble is actually what's going on inside of me. He says, I'm all too human. I'm a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself. I want to do what is right. I want to stay my 30 minutes and no more. I want to do what's right by others, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I don't want to do. I do what I hate. But if I am doing what is wrong, 
this shows that I actually agree the law is good. I'm aware that it's it's actually wrong to do those things. So I'm not the one doing it. It is sin living in me that does it. The true part of you, the part that is imaged in God, the part that wants to do right, this part of you that actually wants to do right, very few people are narcissists. Most of us, it's sin is an archery term and we want to do the right. We want to aim for the target, but we just keep coming up short. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Most of us want to do right. If I cross-section most of the community, most people want to do right. Now, the problem is there's a part of us that desires to do wrong, that sinful nature. And Paul talks about this battle between sin and the, 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 the right part of us. He says the spirit and the flesh, he enables it. The, the good part of us and the bad part of us. And it's this struggle. And we find ourselves repeatedly, which is what Paul's saying, I want to do the right thing, but I keep doing the wrong thing. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't do it. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I'm doing what I don't want to do, am I re- I'm not really the one doing what is wrong. It is the sin, this virus that's in me, that's attacking me, that's doing the wrong thing. And I've discovered this principle, he says. I want to do what is right, but inevitably I find myself parking longer than 30 minutes. Parking my chariot, I suppose he would say. Parking myself longer than 30 minutes. I invariably find myself doing what I don't want to do. There's this other power, he says in verse 23, that is within me that is at war in my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin. I keep seeing something. I'm wanting it. I take it for myself. Oh, what a miserable person I am. I wonder if you feel that way. The NIV says, what a wretched man I am. Because we know what's right, and yet we instinctively fall back into selfishness. We, we fall back into wanting and taking for ourselves at the expense of our family and our spouse and our community and our work colleagues and other people who are trying to find Jesus. We keep taking for ourselves. Paul says, what a miserable man I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? He's got this desire to do right. But he keeps finding himself parking too long. wonder if that's you. And it seems like you're struggling. And if you just keep trying harder, eventually something will change on the inside of you. That's how the Jews lived. We talk about that in the podcast, that the Jews had this view that eventually they could just do right by God. They could just be the right kind of person. And Paul, who was a Jew, he came to this realization, you can never do it because there's a part of you that is sinful, that has sinful desires, and it keeps growing and sin keeps causing that to grow and take over. It's a virus that will grow and consume you. Paul says, I'm wretched. Who can rescue me? Ah, he says, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is? I really want to do what's right. I want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Friends, the only antidote to this virus, the only vaccine to this virus of sin is the death of Jesus Christ. When he died, he absorbed that black virus into himself and it exhausted itself on him because he was without sin. He is the antidote. He is the vaccine to that virus. And now Paul would say, if you are in Christ, you have been injected with an antidote against sin, which means now it's not just that you just don't stay longer than 30 minutes. You actually now are able to do right by other people. And if you only need 10 minutes, you take 10 minutes and you give everybody else space to take your 20 minute bonus that you've given them. That is doing righteousness by others. And so that's what Paul really wanted us to grasp. That's what I wanted us to grasp, to take it to this whole next level. 
I wanted us to get away from thinking and preaching that sin is just this list of sins. I wanted us to look reflection on the inside. And so just for the last three or four minutes of this message, I want you to maybe, maybe even close your eyes as I, as I share this. And I want you to think about this. I want to ask you some questions. These questions are for, for personal reflection. And maybe you can come back and listen to this on the podcast and just listen to it again on Facebook or on YouTube and just reflect on this. I want you to think about what's really driving you. What are your motivations of your heart? Where are your motivations selfish and self-focused? Where am I thinking about myself and what's right for me? Where am I seeing what's good in my own eyes? Oh, that person treated me bad. I deserve better than that. And I'm taking for myself. Oh, you deserve this. Where are you thinking that? Where might our evil desires, our sinful nature be enticing us to take what's good in our own eyes? And when I do that, when I take what's good for me, maybe the next step is to think about well, who's missing out? Where am I failing to image God? And where am I failing to value the image of God in other human beings? Because they have to keep driving around the block because there's no spaces. Where I am missing out on being generous to them because I have withheld from myself. We also talk about this in the podcast in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira who kept back some from themselves. It's the same narrative. There was nothing wrong with they sold a block of land and they kept some from themselves. The problem wasn't they kept some from themselves. The problem was they lied about it. The problem was they didn't trust that there was enough to go around. So they said, well, I don't know if I can trust God. They fell for the serpent's lies and they kept, they took for themselves at the expense of others. And I wonder where we might be doing that too. Where might we be afraid of others? Friends, there's three big areas. And if you look at all the destruction in the world, in churches right now, in government, in media, in politics, in already said that, didn't I? Government, in, in, in um, the entertainment industry, there's three big areas. Pretty much all the destructive destruction we can see can come down to three selfish behaviors: sex, money, power. Stuff, sexual gratification, and power. Well, we other way we put it is the gold, the girls, and the glory. The gold, the girls, and the glory. The gold, the guys, and the glory. In fact, uh, in uh, 1 John 2, John talks about the same three. He just uses different language. He says the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Something that we want for ourselves that makes us feel good. Something that makes us feel valuable, that gives us stuff and gives us security. I want to take because I don't know if God's got enough for me, so I'm going to keep for myself or take for myself. And power. Well, I'm important. I deserve this. Power. Sex, money, power. Pretty much all the destruction we see. Pretty much you open up your news article, look at wars, look at, look at anything in your news feed. You'll be able to break it down to one of those three. Because when we take for ourselves, the world's narrative is it's okay to do that. You won't hurt anybody. Maybe you're not hurting them, but you're not doing righteousness. Because righteousness is not just about not hurting people. Righteousness is about doing right for people. It's about being proactive. Where might you be doing that? And I want to encourage you to examine yourself in that aspect and think about it. It has implications for your own life and your family's life. Where are you taking from your family? Where are you taking from your friends? Where are you taking from other Christians, from the church, because you're not being generous with your time, your talent, and your treasure? Where are you taking from your neighbours? Where have you created a list of sins and said, well, if you do these, I'll accept you, and if you if you don't do these, I'll accept you, and if you do them, I'll cancel you. So it has implications at a personal level. 
it also has implications at a societal level. And as Christians, we can vote, we can, we can uh, have influence in our society, we can change the values of our corporate society as we rise up, as we have a voice. And, and I think what happens is the same narrative plays out among Christians. There's not enough to go around. The devil's whispering in her ear and going, well, you know, what if we changed the immigration policy? There wouldn't be enough to go around. There's not enough money in this country. And politicians know this. They come to election time. And you think about it. What do we talk about? Election promises. What are the election promises? Well, ultimately, if you bear them down, election promises are nearly always about getting people to vote for them. Why? Because it's going to be good for them. They help you to see what's right for you. I'll vote for them because it's going to be more money in my pocket. I wonder if as Christians, our motivation for voting wasn't what was right for us, but what was right for the poor, the war, the widow, the foreigner, and the orphan, the vulnerable people. I wonder if that was our motive. If we could look beyond what's good for us and actually say, I'm gonna look at what's good for others. I'm gonna vote according to what's good for others. I wonder if that would change some of our policies that we hold as Christian church. And so friends, I wanted to leave you with those thoughts as we wrap up this sermon. It's a bit long, but hopefully it uh, has encouraged you. A lot longer than, uh, it's a lot longer on the podcast, believe me. But I really think that there's some, something in this. And next week we're going to go on and we're going to talk about the atonement and what Jesus has actually accomplished and how his death has actually helped us to defeat this sin that is in us. Well, God bless you. I'm going to hand you back to the team now who are going to finish out the service. Have a great week and I look forward to seeing you in person next Sunday. Bless you.